You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Here are some highlights from this week's program. How can I continue to instill and inculcate in my boys just the fact that they can get outside, get energetic, get moving, and that I can do it with them, to just be out there spending time together in the the non-judgmental, the non-cheering, just being out there, I think, is, is the real opportunity it gives us. There's been lots and lots of studies showing you know, objective effects on psychological well-being, concentration, happiness. So there's a whole host of, first of all, psychological and then physical things that interplay from even very limited exposures to the outdoors if it happens on any kind of consistent basis. I think Maine Audubon and and lots of Audubon societies, sort of nationwide, have it figured out in the in terms of bringing nature and the wilderness and wildlife and habitat into communities where people have really immediate access to these same sorts of opportunities to form values and and experience things around them and that sort of thing really close. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 141, Outdoor Education, airing for the first time on Sunday, May 25th, 2014. It's spring, and the perfect time to get back out into the main outdoors. There are numerous benefits to being outside, emotional, physical, social, and spiritual. Today we discuss these benefits and the work being done by two special main places, with Nick Charov and Dr. David Johnson of Wells Reserve at Lodholm, and Eric Topper of Maine Audubon. Join our conversation and be inspired. Thank you for joining us. I've always been a huge proponent of getting kids outdoors and also getting adults outdoors. And today I have with me two people who feel equally, um, feel this is equally important. We have Nick Charov, who is the president of Wells Reserve at Lodholm and has worked in science education and environmental preservation for nearly a decade. He's no stranger to Maine and has spent more than 30 summers exploring the tide pools, pines, and breakwaters on Peaks Island. He lives with his wife and two sons in South Portland. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for having me. We also have Dr. David Johnson, who is a local orthopedic surgeon and Lodholm Trust board member. He is a former Outward Bound instructor and teacher of environmental science. David lives with his wife and four children in Kennebunkport. Good to have you in today. Thank you, Lisa. So we're all individuals who love to be outside, and uh, Wells Reserve at Lodholm is a perfect place for that. For people who are listening, tell us a little bit more about the Wells Reserve at Lodholm. The Wells Reserve, for short, um, is a nature center, uh, an outdoor uh, recreation site, a coastal science research facility, and a a National Historic Register uh, place. 
I think of it as a, as a metaphor, really. It's an estuarine, estuarine research reserve. And that means that it uh, encompasses the place where three rivers actually come into the sea, into the Gulf of Maine. And these estuaries are freshwater rivers coming down to the saltwater sea, and so they mix. And so this dynamic place on the coast where certainly the tide's going in not all day, but the waters are mixing is home to migrating birds, to uh, rare plants, uh, to some very rare and, and unique individuals as well, uh, some of our scientists who work there and, and our researchers. And it's all there to... To, to preserve and, and, and save this place, but also use it as a platform to teach people about coastal science, about climate change, and about history uh, as well. It's, a, it's an old 18th century farm that's been restored, and that's our headquarters at the Lodhome Farm Campus. And I think with, with this salt and fresh, with this past and present, with art and science all mixing together, you know, it's, like, it's like yin-yang. It, it really... It gives us the opportunity to talk about so many things and teach people so much. Plus, there are seven miles of trails, a beautiful, pristine beach, and uh, forests, fields, uh, all kinds of places to walk and, and recreate. Nick, you've spent some time not in Maine doing some very interesting urban activities, in fact, having to do with um, the New York Restoration Project. So you were doing, you were greening up the city before you came to Maine. Yeah, I worked for Bette Midler for almost five years. New York Restoration Project is her nonprofit. Bette grew up in Hawaii. She wants everywhere to look like Hawaii. But as a, a singer, actress, uh, entertainer, she spent most of her life in Los Angeles and New York, two places that aren't really renowned for their, their nature. But uh, she's a passionate, committed, uh, committable sometimes woman. And... She wants everywhere to be as green as the, the plants here in the studio, um, even eventually Hawaii. So we were building gardens. We were planting trees. We launched a campaign called Million Trees NYC, which was uh, a, an effort uh, begun under the Bloomberg administration to plant a million trees across all five boroughs. So this is not just Manhattan, but is really just fitting in greenery wherever we could. And when I left back in 2012 and moved up here to Maine, we were just past the 600,000 mark, and I think uh, they're now getting close to finishing it as well. So it just, I've, I've been doing this, I've been thinking about this, I've been out there preaching it and also getting my hands dirty and, and putting in trees and, and gardens for, for a while. Dr. Johnson, you're a fellowship-trained orthopedic subspecialist. Um, you completed a fellowship in shoulder and upper extremity surgery in San Francisco, and you do a lot of work with sports medicine. Why is the green outdoors and getting people into the green outdoors so important to you? Um, I think it began a long time before I became an orthopedic surgeon. So out of college, I went and uh, was a teacher for environmental science, and I worked for um, Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School, and then I worked for actually New York City Outward Bound, which is, I didn't know this, but similar to what Nick did, we took inner city youth and took them on um, Outward Bound experiences to expose them to the outdoors. So, you know, getting people outdoors, educating about the outdoors was important to me long before I came, became an orthopedic surgeon. And now that I'm an orthopedic surgeon taking care of athletes, I see the benefits of activity, exercise, and the vigor it brings people, the psychological well-being, and it's all even better enhanced when it's in a great environment. You are an avid skier and a kayaker. 
Have yep. you been able to find the time to do these activities while you're also raising your four children and being a team doctor for Kennebunk and Biddeford and having a medical practice? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's one of the appeals that Maine has had for us. We came here about six years ago, and uh, we were frustrated that I couldn't find those things for myself or for my family readily uh, where we were living in sort of a suburban environment. So the, one of the great things about Kennebunkport, where we live, is we're you know half a mile from the ocean. And uh, for instance, my son and I will go out and uh, to go sunset surfing and sort of watch the stars come up. And it's been amazing to me, like the neat effect living in that town kind of has for us. But then also those you know miniature experiences like that, where he literally has a star that he'll watch come up on the horizon, and he calls it his own star. And I just think you can't do that very many places. Nick, you originally, um, you have your undergraduate degree from Stanford, so you've been across the country. In fact, both of you have New York ties, you have San Francisco ties, and both of you chose to come back to Maine. What is so special about this state? I loved California, but for the same reasons I, I love Maine. I mean, there was the, the variety uh, that was built on the, the natural world, the experiences of ocean and mountain, forest and field, and... I'd always come to Maine as a kid and spent time on Peaks Island. My grandparents had a cabin up there from the late 60s onward. I didn't know you could actually work up here and spend time all four seasons. Um, after our second winter here, um, I, I'm now beginning to wonder about that, that second part. But I just, I, I'm overwhelmed constantly, and especially with having kids and hearing Dave talk about taking his son surfing. I mean, that's, that's why. I was working in Manhattan every day. I was taking the subway in with, you know, seeing a few hundred thousand people going through Penn Station uh, every day. And that's that's more people than I'll see in my entire life up here in Maine for the rest of my days. Um, I, I was tired of just the, the impinging concrete uh, all the time. The, the attention that's just getting drawn by neon and horns and, and filth. <laughs> blowing down the, the those canyons in the city and up here it's it's just the exact opposite and this is where I want my kids to be or my wife and I to be and my grandparents are also up in Topsom as well they they retired up there so this is where the family has has gravitated and where we're going to stay just because it's it's got everything we want and I, I, I couldn't ask for a, a better place to live and I'm evangelizing it to all my friends um, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I think I started to tell you we moved up here looking for sort of a, a better lifestyle, and uh, I think we were overly pleasantly surprised. I, tra I trained up here at Maine Med for about three or four months when I was in medical school, so I had some exposure to Portland. And then a job opportunity came up in the greater Kennebunk area, and we came up here, you know, hoping that we would sort of find something that fit our lifestyles uh, well, and it's been magnificent. And everyone's, you know, my family's blossomed. And I think a lot of it is just the integration of uh, how much people here live with the outdoors and integrate it into their life, and it's an important part of what they do for work and play and, you know, function. And that's just a, a great integration that should be part of life. What did each of your families do to encourage you to um, work with the outdoors when you were growing up? Because that seems like an important influence is what our parents do with us when we're younger. And each of you had your experience in environmental education. So there must have been something in, within your families that was a priority. I think with my parents, they I was raised in New York City, ironically, but neither of my parents came from New York City. 
And for them, you could always see the sort of their real personalities come out when we left New York. And we had a country home in Cape Cod. And whenever we were there, you could see them transform into the people they wanted to be and therefore the people I wanted to be with. And whenever they talked about, you know, what was fun to do in their free time, it was always, you know, fishing and hiking, walking the beach and sailing and things like that. It was never the, you know, vibe and culture of New York City, even though they sort of enjoyed that. That wasn't what lit them up. And how about you, Nick? My whole family's from New York. Um, First-generation Russians. Um, my, my grandparents all came over uh, in the 50s. But uh, especially those grandparents that bought the place on Peaks Island, um, they first uh, moved out of New York City to the Berkshires. And it was really my grandmother who was a, a gardener, a composter, and they, they were living on 11 acres up in the Berkshires um, and really homesteading it. And it was going up there as a kid on the weekends. So we lived in a, in a rural town, my parents and I, uh, in Connecticut, uh, in eastern Connecticut. And we backed up onto a lot of uh, state preserves. So I was out in the woods a lot, but not nearly as much as when I was out with my grandmother uh, in her garden. And now that I've got a garden of my own, I'm really getting uh, excited about uh, taking that down through the, the generations and getting my kids' hands into the ground as well. It was funny. I, I, I got up here. Actually, I think when I was in New York, I, I read Helen and Scott Nearing's uh, book, and I got so excited about the possibility of having my own, you know, living off the land, building stone walls, composting, all this stuff. And I went and showed my, my grandparents. I was like, this sounds exactly like what you guys did, both in the Berkshires and then in Maine. And they pulled out this tattered copy, uh, you know, that was from the late 50s that they had been reading, kind of in their similar position, you know, in their, I guess, late late 30s in, in the city. And that's, that's what they wanted to do, too. So it's just, I, I feel it's... Just being outside and getting outside is just a continuation of what I think all of us want to do. It's funny that there's been this kind of movement to urbanization, you know, especially during the Industrial Revolution. We've all kind of collected in these cities and farms have emptied out. And now the pendulum's swinging back, at least for, you know, some of us. Um, but I think more and more of us. And it's this, you know, it's, maybe it's this, this drive, the, the biophilia, you know, drive to, to get back into nature. That cities can't offer us everything we want, although the Chinese food is definitely something I miss. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. It is said a picture is worth a thousand words. If that is true, then what is the picture that describes your finances? Is it you in a deep hole? Is it you wildly riding a money roller coaster? Is it you chained to your job? Is it you walled off from your money? We know that picture is not the same as your vision. Your vision might be built on the idea that money should bring joy into the world. Or your vision might be that money should be used to enlighten and bring levity into existence. Or your vision might be that money should help break the chains of bondage that hold you back and hold you down so that you can pursue another better life. On the best of days, you dream about what life could be. The first step is to take a snapshot and use it to draw up blueprints for how you want it all to come together. Let us help you keep the vision in front of you and actually animate it. Like Shepherd Financial on Facebook, 
It is here we post our vision and images and share steps to encourage you to evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Dream Kitchen Studio by Matthew Brothers. Whether your style is contemporary, traditional, or eclectic, their team of talented designers are available to assist you in designing the kitchen or bath of your dreams. For more information, visit www.dreamkitchenstudio.com. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. If you are a healthcare provider and listener of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we invite you to the second lecture in our Apothecary by Design lecture series to be held at 75 Market Street here in Portland. Our second lecture is with Dr. Kristen McKelvin, a Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast guest and expert in the field of Lyme disease. She will be holding a discussion of Lyme disease and her naturopathic medical view on the disease on May 28th at 5 p.m. At her talk, Dr. McKelvin will review general tick-borne illness information, including diagnosis and testing and treatment options using both conventional and complementary therapies. This is a great opportunity for practitioners to gather reputable resources for use in their clinical practice. Visit apothecarybydesign.com for more information. I hope to see you there. Wells Reserve is um, one of the ways that you get people interested. I think that, you know, I I grew up in in Maine. I grew up in Yarmouth, and I did a lot of outdoor activities when I was growing up. But I think I almost, um, I don't think I recognized what we had here. It was only when I went to um, organizations that were doing island education or were specifically focused on doing education about the outdoors that I really started to comprehend where I lived and what was going on. What are some of the activities that the Wells Reserve is um, doing for people like me who are growing up in Maine and really want a little bit more insight? I have to say, I mean, I think we're still a really unknown or relatively unknown jewel down there in, in Wells on the, the Kennebunk border. We've got just this summer alone, there's the big Tour de Cure bike ride that's based there coming up in June. We've got weekly walks, uh, guided and self-guided tours throughout uh, the 2200 acres. There are wellness walks that combine both walking and coming back and doing some some fresh air painting. Um, continuous lectures, um, both inside and outside. We've got a garden space that we're working with the York County uh, Cooperative Extension on um, and the Master Gardeners to do garden education. 
There's estuary tours there, which I think is fascinating. And I'm a new board member, and it's something mm-hmm. I'm sort of chomping at the bit to do because it's one of the natural focuses of that place. But they have a, a rack of kayaks, and you can mm-hmm. get a, a guide that'll take you through the estuary and point out all of what it does, or you can do it yourself. Yeah. So just one thing I'm eager to do. Yeah, they're they're booking those kayak trips up, you know, online at wellsreserve.org uh, every week now. We've also got summer camps, so with the kids and getting them out there. We have large festivals. Um, usually at the end of September is our largest festival, the Pumpkin Fiddle Festival, at uh, the last weekend, the last Saturday of September. But there's a big crafts festival that just gets a lot of people to the main campus. Periodic talks. So there's been a couple really neat talks on climate change. In, in the next couple of days, I'm giving a, a talk on uh, the effect of being outdoors and exercise on you know, wellness in the human body. So, and those things continue throughout the year. And then lastly, I think this summer we're expanding our concert series. I'm a big proponent of the arts, especially arts with the purpose of, of educating and connecting people with nature. So our concert series in our historic barn seats only about 100 people, all wood, very dark and, and kind of cozy uh, place. We'll have the DePonte String Quartet, a couple pianists, uh, a blues band uh, in Thursdays in July. And then Musanabu Ikamaya is coming down from Bar Harbor. He's a pianist who also is a permaculture enthusiast, so he does a slideshow and a piano performance. And then uh, even during leaf peeping season, we're doing a kind of autumnal concert uh, as well on Columbus Day weekend. So it's just any way we can get people there, connect them with the place and its past and its current activities, the research and the science, the education, uh, the climate change communication, um, any, any way we can get people connected to that is what we're, we're trying to do there. I've only been there uh, less than two years. So right now I'm just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and bringing on uh, enthusiastic, excited, and really expert uh, people like uh, Dave here. Well, speaking of being an expert, um, Dr. Johnson, you mentioned that you're giving a talk on the impact of being outdoors on human beings. What is some of the research behind that? Um, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of it, and I think uh, part of it uh, is really nicely encapsulated in uh, like Richard Love's book, which is you know Last Child in the Woods, and he sort of talks about this unfortunate uh, uh, observation over the last several decades where Americans, and particularly our kids, are spending less and less time uh, outdoors. And uh, he coins this term called like nature deficit disorder. And that's sort of looking at the negative aspect of how America's drifted away from the outdoors. So then you sort of flip the coin and you say, well, what's the positive benefit? And I think there's been lots and lots of studies showing um, you know, objective effects on psychological well-being, concentration, happiness, uh, reflected in, in part by kids' test scores. If you look at kids who are not exposed to the outdoors and compare them to you know, like-minded groups who are, uh, you can really directly measure how much better people do in terms of their academic success, their perception of their well-being, their happiness, and then that seems to translate into very direct physiological effects like lower blood pressure, lower heart rate, um, decreased dependence on medication for kids who are on medications already. So there's a whole host of, first of all, psychological and then physical things that interplay from even very limited exposures to the outdoors if it happens on any kind of consistent basis. What do you notice about each of your sets of children? You have four children and you have two children. Mm-hmm. So when you bring them outside, you mentioned you go out with your son sometimes kayaking. 
Uh, yeah, surfing, actually. Surfing, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So what do you notice when you come back from these outdoor adventures? Uh, I think it's the one of the, the best, most in, uh, intense bonds that we share as a, as, a, as a parent and a child because we both sort of are focusing on the same thing. We're not distracted by all the things um, that can bombard us. Uh, and we're both sort of getting this peacefulness at the same time that we're sharing. So when we step away from that, I always feel like it brings out the best in both of us. We're interacting in the most positive way. There's no harping on him for what I want him to be as a kid. There's no, you know, arguing back to me about what I'm telling him, Dad. And it's all about talking about the star that rose over the, the water line or, you know, did you see me catch that wave or, geez, I really wiped out. And it's all the way that we interact with nature, and it's this really common, fun, beautiful bond. What do you notice with your children, Nick? I, even in New York, we were if we weren't leaving the city every weekend for the last couple of years that we were there um, to go to my mother's house up in the country, um, we were meeting up with a group of friends and walking through some of the wilder parks in the five boroughs and just letting the kids go out in front of us and keep them maybe in eyesight, but even sometimes not. And, you know, just to, to have that freedom um, for them, that, that opportunity for them to go and explore and you know, climb, you know, falling down trees and crawl under things and get really dirty and, and just get them out there. I'm dreading the the programmed years. The, we already go to swim lessons on, on a Saturday morning, and I hate going inside on a Saturday morning, but learning to swim is pretty important if we want to go surfing eventually. But, you know, I'm just looking at you know my future and seeing how can I avoid some of the sitting on the bleachers uh, every morning and afternoon and every weekend? Um, how can I continue to instill and inculcate in my boys just the fact that they can get outside, get energetic, get moving, um, and that I can do it with them. And, and, you know, like as Dave is saying, you know, to just be out there spending time together in the, the non-judgmental, the non-cheering, just being out there, I think, is, is the real opportunity it gives us. And when they get back from these places, from a day at the beach, from uh, a day at the Wells Reserve, I'll, the boys will come down and they're starting to learn their way around the place, and I just let them out out the door and, and say, see you in a, an hour. They come back and they're they're tired, first of all, which when you've got a three-year-old, anything that, that really wipes them out is is a godsend. But they're also, they're, their skin is glowing. You know, they're, they've found some bugs, you know, that they've brought back. Um, they're just, they're out there. They're, they're curious. They're attentive. And, and... I don't know. To me, that's that's what wellness looks like in a little package. Is this these little things running back and just saying, "Look, there's a bird's nest that we tipped over and knocked all the eggs out of." We'll talk about that later, but uh, that they're out there. Yeah. Um, if if I sort of uh, think back about what my kids remember and what they bring up in sort of you know excited conversation, there's a very common theme that they're outdoor experiences. It was a great, you know, moment skiing, or it was a moment uh, when they caught the best fish of their life, or it was something that you know intrigued them, and that's sort of a repeated theme that you see that that's really what sticks in their head. In Maine, we we don't see this epidemic. I hope not. Anyway, I ask you, doctors, uh, whether we do. But 
certainly in New York City, I was just coming up against kids all the time who were, you know, latchkey kids or, you know, glued to their screens or their their bags of Fritos. And it's like, listen, there's even in New York City, there are places that you can find and do this. And and the effects were obvious. And Nick, where can people find out more about the Wells Reserve at Lot Home? We're on Facebook. We're on the web. Uh, Facebook, it's Wells Reserve, and just our URL is wellsreserve.org. A lot of stuff coming up this summer, a lot of programs, a lot of outdoor activities, a lot of, uh, a lot of what we do there every day. We're just trying to give more and more to the public. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing. We interview a lot of guests, and uh, we don't always see the passion that the two of you have shown for the um, impact of the outdoors upon the self and the being. So I suspect that people who are listening will want to spend some time at the Wells Reserve learning more about what you do or maybe going surfing and looking for the star on the horizon. Um, I encourage people to look into the Wells Reserve and to being outdoors in any way as we begin this summer here in Maine. We've been speaking with Nick Charov, the president of Wells Reserve at Lodhome, and Dr. J- David Johnson, a local orthopedic surgeon and Lodhome Trust board member. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day and being with us today. Thanks so much. See you out there. Thank you, Lisa. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine, to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. One of the best parts of my job is teaching, being able to share knowledge with clients that helps them see the bigger picture of their financial operations. It's very rewarding. When that happens and people start to not only understand but practice what they learn, businesses become more efficient and continue to thrive. So if you have a question about your financial operations, raise your hand. We can help you find the answer. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. If you have small children, or if you don't and you just like to walk, you may have spent time at Gilsland Farm in Falmouth, which is part of the Maine Audubon Society. Today we have with us Eric Topper, who is the Director of Education at the Maine Audubon Society. Eric Topper manages youth and adult education programs throughout the state, including pre-K programs, vacation and summer camps, camp uh, school partnership programs, and adult learning and trips. Eric lives in Portland with his wife and two children. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Eric, you're not initially, you, you weren't born a Mainer, let's say. That's true. That's true. I was born, I was raised in the Midwest and uh, ended up in Portland about 12 years ago now. 
And you spent some time in Boston right before that. I did. I lived in Boston. My wife was in grad school in Boston, uh, and we lived there for two years. I worked there for Thompson Island Outward Bound uh, on an island in the middle of Boston Harbor and had a wonderful, exciting commute to work every day and also ran programs in the mountains in New Hampshire. So sort of had the best of both worlds, living in the city and working in a place in places that took me out of the city frequently. Uh, and then when we finished up grad school in Boston, we decided that Maine, Maine was going to be the next place and that was going to be the place we were going to settle down and we're, we're not leaving. So what was it about Maine that kind of drew you toward it? I think the to me, for me, the mix of sort of big city culture, New England culture, combined with incredible access to the outdoors, and particularly that the idea that that I could enjoy a sort of ocean environment and a mountain environment at the same time, but then have a great meal sort of that evening, which which was incredibly, to be able to do that all in one place was really exciting. Well, you also, as you mentioned, you work for Outward Bound. Um, that wasn't necessarily a place you could have a great meal. No, not, Outward Bound is not known for its food, although the base camp, there are, there are uh, certainly base camp chefs and cooks that are, are cringing when they hear me say that, and that was something to look forward to, but yeah, that some of the best parts at Outward Bound were being done with a course and going out to, out to a restaurant after a course, yeah. So what got you interested in outdoor education? So I was, uh, my, my parents from a very early age cultivated an appreciation and a respect for the environment, wildlife, uh, you know, animals, that sort of thing. We always had pets growing up. And then uh, I, in my sort of early teenage years and my kind of quest for adventure and those sorts of things, uh, I ended up on an Outward Bound course as a student when I was 14 and found there uh, really uh, a sort of a combination of things that have, have sort of stayed, stayed with me throughout my life, both the environment and the natural beauty of, of being in scenic places, also the sense of adventure and, and sort of the adrenaline, possibilities of rock climbing and paddling and things like that, uh, but also the sort of idea that that those places were also places and ways that one could do soul searching and character development and things like that. And so that really having that, having experienced that as a student and, and as a sort of recipient that I decided that I was going to at least spend the early part of my career after college sort of doing that. I thought I could do a really, I, I, I like the idea of leadership and I like the idea of, you know, again, teaching responsible risk taking and things like that. And I've just, I've ended up staying there and, and really finding wonderful places to sort of stretch myself professionally, but at the same time, scratch kind of per- personal itches around, you know, being in beautiful places and doing fun things. We had Eric Denny from Outward Bound um, on our show not too long ago. Another Outward Bound Eric. Yes. And he was talking about, um, I guess, the more extreme nature of what um, Outward Bound often does and and the solo trips and how this is an important part of Outward Bound. What, and I love this idea, and it's something that I've experienced myself as being very important. What I also like is um, the proximity of Gilson Farm and the Maine Audubon Society to people who may not have access, they may not have the ability to go out and spend time on an Outward Bound adventure. Absolutely. I think, 
I think Maine Audubon and and lots of Audubon societies, sort of nationwide, have it have it figured out in the in terms of bringing nature and the wilderness and wildlife and habitat into communities. I think places like Outward Bound and other there are wonderful resources, particularly in Maine, to kind of go somewhere and do amazing things in beautiful places. But I think the community resources like Maine Audubon are just as important where where people have really immediate access to these same sorts of opportunities to form values and, and experience things around them and that sort of thing really close. And so Falmouth, the Gilson Farm, I think, is that can be that resource for per- Portland. And Portland has done, I think, a fairly good job protecting open spaces. We have Deering Oaks and Baxter Woods and all these wonderful resources here within city limits. But what's missing from those places is the interpretive support to go along with that, that 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 Gilsland Farm provides. We have staff. There's a staff naturalist there that you can talk to and say, I just saw this. What is that all about? Is that right for this time of year? And then that person can go check with conservation biologists next door and those sorts of things and really, really kind of round out the experience. And then at the same time, we're, we're pouring interpretive resources into that facility to make it speak better to those values. So I think it's a really, as you said, it's a really... Com- important resource to have in the community and we have these we have a center near bangor as well with the same kind of focus a seasonal center at scarborough marsh and then sanctuaries all over the place and that's that's the idea is to get to to give access to people and at, to to those same resources i haven't been to the um, center in bangor but i have been to the one at scarborough marsh and i i've also been to the one in falmouth the places I've been to that are Maine Audubon Society can be appropriate to really a broad range of ages and educational backgrounds and understandings. I think that's that's really interesting and important. That's a, we we consider that our job. That it's you know that that as we get closer to these communities as as and and we work directly with these communities that we're here to serve. The idea is to find kind of lifelong learning opportunities for the citizens in those communities. So. And each kind of age group and demographic has its own sort of priority area and, and, and the reason why it's critically important. So I think Maine Audubon at each of our centers and particularly where we are staffed and have programs, which is sort of the defining characteristics of a, of, of a center for us, it's important that it's all ages, that we, don't, that we don't have a center that is, oh, that's the adult place or that's the, the kid place that we have to do all of the above uh, to, do it, to do it fully. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. One of my friends, Ken Janes, is, uh, he was a surgeon for his entire uh, career and adult life until he retired and he really at heart is a naturalist and does beautiful photography of nature and all of these beautiful nature settings. They went to Africa and shot some amazing shots in Africa. They, he, he goes out into the wild and takes pictures of the birds. And I think what happens is that I'm noticing people are really, as they are retiring or getting to retiring age, and I'm working with many, many people in that bracket, that they really are starting to find themselves in, in an area that is completely removed and different from their their life experience up until this point. So the landscape, I think, talks and speaks to them in a, in a special way. 
and, and helps to nurture that and, and steward that activity. What I really endeavor to do is to try to create that bridge between what their old life was and what their new life could become or, or is becoming. And that we're always in the state of becoming. But I, I think that the built landscape gives you a place to really meditate and seriously think about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Jim Graderix of Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Wellness, now that's a word that can take on so many meanings. Well, what's your definition? Is it waking up feeling fresh and being able to play with your kids? Or is it just having a day of feeling pain-free? Regardless of your definition, let Black Bear Medical be your guide to wellness. It's not the products in our pain center. It's not the therapy products, the recovery products, or even our massage products. It's our expertise and our entire approach to a better you. Let our staff look at your overall wellness and help create a plan, a plan you can live by every day and dedicate yourself to every day. It's not just a product and prayer. It's a plan and a promise. Visit our locations in Portland and Bangor or blackbearmedical.com to see why we keep you active and in the game of life with medical equipment, sports health, rehab products, wellness products, and more. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. When I was at Scarborough, I believe I was on a school field trip with one of my children, and it was the Scarborough Marsh experience, which it was very interesting because it's very close to the road. Mm-hmm. And so you're there's cars going by, and not too far away, there are birds and trees and, you know, swamp grasses and things that I'm sure I'm not scientifically labeling very well. When I think that when we were associated with Falmouth, we did something with owls at some point. Mm-hmm. There's some very interesting thing about uh, owl excrement, actually, is something that I really remember. What are some of the natural, what are the things that seem to fascinate kids the most, and adults? What are some of the birds and animals and natural resources? I, re- I think it's, for me, it seems to be a little bit age-specific uh, in terms of kind of what the hook is for the particular population, but I think one common theme that I think Maine Audubon has really tapped into was this, that you mentioned as well, is this notion of sort of starting with the wildlife, starting with the critters, the animals, and the, you know, the owls, the, 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 the birds that live in the marsh, those sorts of things. And that's, that's I think, what, what becomes the draw and sort of the destination for people to, and a reason to go out into these places. And then, and then for us to provide access. So uh, uh, one of the ways we do this is we, we maintain a huge collection of taxidermy mounts. So essentially stuffed animals that of uh, and our priority is main animals that people are going to interact that 
would be fortunate enough to interact with in Maine and see here in Maine. And an idea for people to see those up close in full size and those sorts of things and get for, f more familiar with them that way. And that works really well for the kid programs, for the school programs, preschool and things like that. And then you mentioned the uh, live owl shows. We do periodically three times a year, more more so we do live animal shows at, at Gilson Farm. The idea being that these experts in wildlife rehab and, and sort of wildlife interaction, places like the Center for Wildlife down in York, come up and actually in a classroom get to get to let people see and uh, sort of interact with live live animals that are in captivity but are native species and so that's that becomes the draw I think and different sort of populations go different places the kids want to go see more animals and so that's going to get them outside and that's going to get them to sort of pursue curriculum and opportunities to see more animals adults can sort of zero right into okay what are the systems that it takes to support these animals and i get it and and the animals are endearing but i i can think on a on a much bigger scale and i can think about the marsh, Scarborough Marsh, for example, as an ecosystem, and I understand that now. And the animals are nice little hooks, but I can go to a place that's much loftier. And so that's what we've tried to do. We've tried to sort of, I think that all of us in the environmental sciences field, all of us in the outdoor education field, we're, we're confronted with the crisis of our time, climate change. And, and so particularly figuring out specific hooks for specific age groups and population groups where we can get people quickly to sort of buy into that, what they can do individually and as communities as in, and in much larger groups, what they can do to, to deal with those problems and those challenges. And so again, I think Maine Audubon has a great, great slant on that and starting with the animals, keeping it, keeping it exciting and, and real and, and have given it a face and, and a mouth and, and a nose and those sorts of things is really helpful. You have two children. That's right. How old are they? I have a uh, four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. So what do they like to do when they go to the Audubon Society? So they, my, this has been really uh, an exciting opportunity for me since I've worked there. This has been my first, I've been in education my entire career, and this is my first opportunity to sort of bring it home. And my my kids uh, participate in programs at Maine Audubon, and then we also go there periodically when family members are in town and those sorts of things. And, and so for my kids, the... Uh, it's been really fascinating to watch their sort of development through the slant of this one theme, this wildlife and habitat theme. And, and uh, I, my son in particular, my four-year-old, is right sort of on that cusp where unstructured kind of opportunities for exploration are really important. But also he's getting to that point where he can really, he, his, his brain is starting to organize things and, and, and look at characteristics and things like that. But then also he's, he's in that place where he's looking to apply skills that he's developing to particular areas of content. So for example, yesterday at, at his preschool, uh, he, his teacher reported that this was, you know, sort of off the charts and nobody had done this yet, that he asked her, um, she suggested that he, he, he essentially he measured, he, he drew a bird and then asked to measure it and she gave him a ruler and he measured it and reported that it was seven inches long. She asked him if he wanted to measure in centimeters or inches and he reported that it was seven inches long. And I believe she was just shocked by that and said, what do you all do at home? Are you doing, are you measuring things and things like that? And my 
all the only thing I could put that relate that to was his his learning about animals according to a structure in the preschool program at at Maine Audubon which stimulated him to come home and ask me to look at field guides and read him characteristics of different birds I think it was and started getting familiar with this one's seven inches and this one's 12 inches and those sorts of things and then has actually gone out and sought to apply that which is pretty incredible that and and you know I think those of us in the field of of environmental education realize how important our field is for science and technology and engineering and math, the STEM sort of uh, subject areas. And this was a real world opportunity for me to see this at home. And so I think that the preschool programs are neat because that age group really benefits from, as I said, unstructured sort of exploration, that, that sense of discovery where we just sort of honor it, but then also really getting them used to a structure of discovery. So, okay, each class is going to follow the same general sort of plan. First, we're going to have the story, and then we're going to have some clues, and then we're going to guess the mystery animal for today. And the kids get used to following that same structure, and they start looking forward to those mystery animals, and then they want to go home and actually sort of anticipate what that mystery animal is and learn about related mystery animals. And it's just really neat to see that sort of snowball take root, where, you know, in an eight-week program, there may be eight mystery animals. And so they'll learn little facts, fun facts about eight different animals. But to see that again snowball into, but they'll also get familiar with measuring things and identifying and characterizing and, and that sort of thing. So that's been really fun for me. So what do you do with your two-year-old? The two-year-old is still very much in that place of, of you know, learning that I, I feel like she's in that age where she's starting to form values, she's starting to gain empathy, she's starting to do those things. And I feel like exposure, her exposure, mostly at home and a little bit at school to books that are sort of trying to teach those themes and stories about sharing and those sorts of things. But then also that combined with what she's, the empathy that she's sort of, that's sort of getting taught more subtly at Maine Audubon where she's learning about different different critters that are all sharing the area around this and she doesn't realize I don't think that these animals that you're learning are uh, about are specific to here but I you know when we go to Florida she's able to point at she knows oh that's a squirrel I know that you know so I think it's a really varied um, mixed bag and it's been really neat to see that at different developmental parts and so the one of the great things that I've benefited from as well is both kids participate in the program together so we have a pre-k family program where the idea is a caregiver so in my case it's our babysitter takes our kids there on Tuesday mornings for an hour both kids participate with her they do a crafts project they do reading they do an outdoor exploration Today, I think they're making sap. They're learning to tap a tree, and and uh, Kim's going to teach them how to boil sap and what that process is. And I know we're going to have a f super fun conversation tomorrow when we're eating our waffles and 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 sharing maple syrup. So that's just a that's been a really really fun experience. And then Maine Audubon also offers drop off programs for for pre K uh, aged kids, uh, just sort of three hours. Um, one day a week where the students are opportunity and they those those kids go a little bit deeper and then we get into the k5 k5 curriculum which is much deeper than that 
And you have summer camp programs as well. We do, yeah. So the, the idea is that we have school-based programs during the school year, and then each time school is out, so school vacation weeks during the school year, and then summer vacation, we flip over to sort of a camp model, which is all day, uh, sort of, you know, different themes for the day where, where kids are going out and playing games and, and doing explorations and that sort of thing. What I found was it was easier when my children, well, first of all, it was much easier when my children didn't have driver's licenses. So I would say, we're going to go somewhere, and they would go. And generally, they would like the animals. And um, now that my kids are older, it's not as easy to get them as involved as they once were, although I have a senior in high school. She's taking AP environmental sciences, so that's helpful. I have a child in college. He's a biology, zoology major, so that's helpful, too. But that I still think that teenage, those teenage early adult years can be a little bit more of a challenge. I know you have a school program that goes all the way up through. How do you specifically um, work with the, the teenagers? I think most of our most of our success working with teenagers uh, is has been through the teachers in particular, and sort of guiding teachers to come up with uh, engaging uh, sort of. Curriculum that's both rigorous and engaging and 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 really hands-on, I think, is critical uh, to the, those age groups. I also think those age groups benefit a lot from the sort of destination and that the the and if you can if you can add in some opportunities for sort of adrenaline and those sorts of things and challenge. That's a those are I, I feel like really healthy ways to do that with those age groups. Uh, Maine Audubon again has focused largely on the teachers. I think we're we're working more on developing service learning programs and citizen science programs, which are really, really important opportunities as well. I think uh, one of the things that's exciting for me as an educator and, and dealing with sort of just changes in the way things are and the way the world works is the combination and I'd be I'm particularly excited for middle school and high school age kids to be able to do this is that be able to merge sort of field experience with data collection and sharing online just the the wealth of resources right now that your I'm sure your kids are using all the time and and those of us that are older are, are still learning to catch up and it's not a part of our our sort of uh, school experience yet uh, or, or wasn't earlier, and now kids are getting that apart. But but there are all these amazing resources to track where kids can go out and do work on the on the in the in the field, and then bring that back to the classroom and look at those data, enter those data, and and look at them, um, and participate in projects and Skype with classrooms around the world, and all, all kinds of wonderful opportunities that are very exciting. How do you keep adults interested? I think adults are uh, that I think there's a part of it that starts with the wildlife. So I think we do tremendous. We we're tremendous have tremendous success in our live animal shows with the adults uh, market. So I think that's additional appeal that having a room full of live animals is a, is a draw for all ages. I think the other uh, big pieces are part of the, the destinations, giving people sort of packaged opportunities where they can have a really deep experience in a particular area. And then I think just the community, various community resources in terms of workshops and things like that, scheduling. The hardest part with adults, I think, is has to do with scheduling and logistics. What's the ideal sort of northern Maine immersion? Is it four days? Is that too long? Does that, you know, does it lower the appeal? Those sorts of things. So that's that's the tricky part there. But I think we've done a really good job sort of offering the array and saying, if you can come for four hours and you can only make it as far as Gilsland Farm, let's maximize your time there on a particular 
particular area. And if you can spare four days to come up to Borestone Mountain uh, near Greenville, and, and we can sort of take it a little, spend some inner, add some time just sitting on the porch reflecting on your experience as well. So I think the whole gamut there. The other really exciting part for adults, uh, and I mentioned this with the teens as well, is citizen science. So the idea, which I think Maine Audubon is unique in that sense of our, our blend of conservation and education. But citizen science, the idea that people can get out and contribute scientific data to major initiatives and this is a great way again utilizing the internet and other resources where a scientist can maximize their sort of study the sort of scope of their study area by mobilizing volunteers Maine Audubon's done this for many years with the loon count the annual loon count getting property owners who live on lakes to count how many loons you hear and report that and we can get a pretty good handle on what we have for resources in the state and then you look at that over time and you figure out how we're doing so, and we've mobilized all kinds of other spin-off citizen science projects, and then there are national and international citizen science projects as well. And that's a great opportunity for adults, and and particularly adults, uh, sort of heads of family as well, that you can you, you engage the family and you all participate in this project. So those are really exciting. I think that that's the the neat part is adults want to do something and they want to they want to move to action, and we've sort of tried to ce- celebrate that and capitalize on that a little bit. Eric, how do people find out about the various activities of the Maine Audubon Society? Uh, our website has come, uh, has made leaps and bounds in the past couple of years. We put a lot of energy into make, making sure that, that that becomes a really rich resource and, and that we prioritize right there on the landing page what programs are upcoming and what are opportunities to get people directly involved and, and working alongside of us. Uh, and so the website is, is www.mainaudubon.org. Uh, and then certainly any of our centers, uh, Gilsland Farm here in Falmouth, the Fields Pond Audubon Center up in Holden, Maine, just outside of uh, Bangor, Borestone Mountain uh, in Elliottsville Plantation, and then uh, Scarborough Marsh Audubon Center in Scarborough Marsh uh, to open during the summer. Those are great places to just stop in and see what's going on. We have what's going on listed on the we- on the on the wall, and people to chat about it. We've been speaking with Eric Topper, who is the Director of Education at the Maine Audubon Society. Eric, thank you so much for continuing to um, bring really important information about the outdoors to the children and adults of the state of Maine. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 141, Outdoor Education. Our guests have included Nick Charov, Dr. David Johnson, and Eric Topper. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram as Bountiful1. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our outdoor education show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, 
Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Thank you.